Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. With no Libertadores this week, we're taking the opportunity to finally record a pod that's been on our minds for a while. And that's a discussion around the Copa America Femenina that recently took place in Chile. And it's also a chance to have a look at the state of the women's game in South America in general. Joining me today to discuss this is a debutant, Brenda. Brenda Elsie, she's based in La Plata, Argentina at the moment. How are you, Brenda? Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome. And also with me today are Simon and Tom. I'll come to Simon first. How are you doing there in Colombia? Yeah, very good. Very good. Uh, looking forward to getting into this episode. It's been something that we're looking forward to do for a while. So looking forward to getting some different perspectives on women's football and potentially some other things as well. And Tom, how, how are you doing? I hear that it's pretty hot over there in England at the moment. Yeah, it's been a pretty amazing week or so of nice weather and it's it's nice to be recording a podcast that's not in the middle of the night for me. So yeah, looking forward to discussing it and I was reading Brenda's articles on The Guardian during the tournament. So yeah, it's going to be fascinating for us uh, to talk about a subject that doesn't get as much airtime as it, as it should really. Yeah, definitely. So we'll start with that, the Copa America Femenina, which recently happened here in Chile. So for those who don't know, the women's version of the Copa America recently took place here in Chile in the last month. And I think it's fair to say it was a pretty big hit that exceeded expectations. The success of the tournament was helped by strong showing by the hosts who finished as runners-up to Brazil to earn a place in France 2019. That's where and when the next World Cup will be. The real triumph of the tournament was that it actually took place with every member of the Commonwealth Federation signed up to it in the end. Brenda, I think it's fair to say that the players were the real driving force behind making this happen, though. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's something that didn't get as much coverage as I wish it would have. Uh, the, the Chilean women, about two years ago, when they found themselves uh, relegated to inactive status by FIFA decided to form a players union and that union which has is gotten only stronger since then decided that hosting the Copa America would be a big platform for them and so they created the bid they created the videos they did all of the the legwork needed to be done with very very little support from the federation so i th- i think it paid off i think it it was a huge, I think it was a huge hit. I think what they thought would happen, they made happen, and it was really nothing short of remarkable. Yeah, staying, staying with the Chilean side of things for now then, I think the decision to host it in La Serena, which is a city a few hours north of Santiago, I understand that that actually wasn't a popular decision at first with the Chilean players. Um, you know, they, they thought it would be better for it to be in the capital. But I think as the tournament went on, I think, I think the fact that it was in a smaller city where the buzz was uh, more easily spread than, say, in a metropolis like Santiago, um, I think that really helped with with the success of the tournament. I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I I, I like that framing of it because it's really optimistic and positive. (laughs) At the same time, it was pretty horrible that the third seat, Ovalle, ended up not being ready in time and just a week and a half before they had to reschedule the matches so basically the first they asked for the national stadium the federation in chile denied them access to the national stadium which is highly disrespectful could you could you imagine if the copa america masculino was not held in the national stadium so okay fine so that happens, they regroup, they see the positive in this, and there's three seats, La Serena, Coquimbo, and Ovalle, which are all fairly small cities in the north-central part of Chile. And you know, and then two weeks before, the, the Federation says, oh, well, we just didn't get Ovalle ready. So it, it's very troubling to the Chilean players. It's also really troubling to the Argentine, Brazilians, who didn't find out that their game matches would be changed, the, seat of, the site of their matches, until about six days before the tournament actually started. So it's, it ended up in gray, you know what I mean? Like, I'm all with you on that. But I don't think we should ignore the fact that it still came with a lot of, you know, sexist garbage. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I think the 
the Chilean players, the fact that they got together and formed a union, no, back in 2015. And, and that was with your help, no, Brenda? Is, it, is that right? No, no, I didn't help them. Uh, no, I didn't. I can't take any credit for that. I wish I could um, <laughs> because it's an awesome thing. No, uh, there's a few players that were playing for Catolica, like Iona Rothfeld, who now is playing university football in in the u.s um a few national players uh camila perez um who is now in FIFA pro fernanda panilla christiani endler who's the current captain those women got together and did it so i covered it right away and was involved in 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 kind of just a general group of people but um but no i i didn't do any help with that i've done grant writing for them and the exciting thing is building off of this cup right now, what they're trying to do in August, and and I hope it gets a lot of attention, is they're trying to form the first South American women's football organization, which right now no association exists. So we did win a couple of grants from FAIR and are getting uh, FIFA Pro's collaboration in that. So I've helped with that, but um, can't take credit for the actual union as much as I love unions. Okay. Um, well, I think the, I think the Chilean players... I certainly deserve a lot of credit here for getting this tournament organized, like you say. Um, and I think, really, the, the achievement of some of the players from, say, the smaller nations, Bolivia, Venezuela, for example, in footballing terms, anyway, smaller, smaller nations, um, the fact that they got teams together and, and made it across to, to Chile is also a massive credit to them, though, because they have little help from their association. Yeah, I- they have such little help. I haven't been able to get in touch at all with uh, with the Bolivian Federation. It's very hard to figure out even who to contact. I wanted to include them in the Guardian articles, and it proved really challenging. So communication is really hard. Uh, federations don't respond. Uh, the best I usually can do is reach out directly to players through Facebook and Twitter if they happen to have it. <laughs> so I don't even know how the... How the Bolivian women got there, I have no idea. It yeah. was an achievement, well, the, regardless. Uh, the, the Bolivian FA um, is a little bit of a running joke here on the South American football show. So we, we, think, that <laughs> oh, the, okay. we think that the secretary <laughs> position at that FA must always be vacant and open. <laughs> <laughs> and we've all thought about applying for the position. Um, I'm going to bring Simon into this conversation for a little bit because he's, he's actually been quite vocal about women's football in South America on this show um, in the past. So I'd just like first your view, Simon, on, on how the tournament went down there up there in Colombia. I, I kind of understand that it didn't get as much coverage as the Colombian players thought that it deserved. And I saw that some of the Colombian uh, women went on to Twitter, the players, um, and to criticise their counterparts from the men's national team for not giving any any support, um, unlike the Chilean players such as Vidal and Medal, who who were quite vocal on such social media in their support for for, for their counterparts. Um, so, yeah, what, what's what's kind of been the reaction there, Simon? I, there's there's that point, but also a point that they were actually quite heavily criticised for not making it to the World Cup, I believe, as well. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of the the, the Copa America, um, there are a few issues um, that is we can discuss. I think the broader context, which we can perhaps speak about in a minute, in terms of the league and in terms of how that's been received, has been very positive. But of course, you know, um, there are always there are always issues. Going back to the launch of the new Columbia kit, where the men's shirt was modelled by the men and the women's shirt was modelled by models. Um, which, again, I think is is a reflection that while there are things improving, you know, the women aren't always seen on the same level. In terms of the coverage, I think in a lot of ways, the uh, Colombian domestic league was promoted more than this Copa America by, by some news outlets. Um, the league in Colombia gets, has all of the, all of the games are shown on TV, uh, on, on, on a, on a win sports, on a channel. So there's, there's a, they, they do a lot of work to promote it. So I think in terms of the Copa America, there wasn't that in the same way. Um, and also, you know, the clubs are, are very much behind 
the nas- uh, the 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 local teams, the the female versions of the men's teams, which is how things have developed in Colombia. They promote them a lot. Whereas, yeah, I think in terms of how the women's team was, you know, promoted, it, it wasn't as much as I'd expect, given how impressed and surprised I've been with the promotion for the domestic games. So I think in terms of promotion, in terms of awareness, there wasn't as much coverage as I'd hoped there would be. In terms of, yeah, in terms of um, the support from other Colombian players, yeah, no, not massively. It did kind of pass by in Colombia, which is a real shame. I think a lot of Colombian experts and a lot of common Colombian commentators were ready for the Colombian team to, to do really well and then say, look, this is another pat on the back. We've done really well. This is Colombian football on the rise again. And then they were disappointed that they didn't get what they hoped to. It kind of felt they were ready to report on the victory or, or ready to report on the, you know, the the valiant failure in the final, or, you know, get into the second position or something. Whereas in reality, they didn't necessarily promote them on the run up to the tournament. And it definitely wasn't treated in the same way as a men's competition would be treated. And again, coming from a UK context and perspective where the treatment of women's football is awful. It's it, Institutionally, it's not too bad, but the, dis, the disrespect uh, shown by on social media, for example, I've been really positively surprised that that hasn't been the case in Colombia. If you know, I've seen, for example, on social media, someone will message the club, oh, uh, I want to buy the new shirt, where can I buy the shirt? And they say, the men's shirt or the women's shirt? Just little things like that. And the 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 promotion on social media of the games and all that kind of stuff for the club team has been really good. I think maybe there wasn't a coordinated effort uh, in regards to the women's game in the same way as the club game, which was disappointing. And it did kind of feel like it passed by in Colombia, which given some of the positive steps was disappointing. Well, I agree with everything that was just said. Uh, I just wanted to say that El Tiempo, which is one of the major outlets, I don't know if you saw their reaction to the Colombian women's performance. If any of you guys read it. Yeah, I've seen bits and pieces, yeah. Yeah, so they called it an inexcusable failure. And it's like, give me a break. I mean, that that professional league is wonderful, but it's one year. It's one season, you know? The, The Colombian men's domestic league is 65 years old, and it's nothing to, like say has no problems <laughs> it's like, and and it's one year in El Tiempo which is a major newspaper isn't it the most popular newspaper in Colombia yeah it's definitely one of the big ones yeah okay I think it has the largest circulation the sports editor came out to say the women have gotten everything they want and they have nothing to complain about despite the fact that a year and a half ago they had no coach for nine months no coach for the national team yeah it's incredible this kind of criticism I, I just because so many of these these national teams Teams on the men's side have failed to qualify for World Cups, and in fact, you would you would perhaps see sort of more sympathy towards them um, because you know it's seen as such a competitive field. But you know, but but I think what this Copper America showed is just how competitive the the Copper America Feminina is now as well, even at this early stage of its development, really. Well, having said that, Adam, I mean, Brazil do seem to be a long way ahead of in terms of development. And obviously with them winning their seventh title was obviously expected. But that was one thing I wanted to ask Brenda about is how, well, what she thinks that the other nations can do to to maybe catch up with Brazil and, and maybe just talk a little bit about, um, yeah, the, 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 uh, the women's game in Brazil and and how they've managed to sort of surge ahead of the rest of the countries in South America? I think I think Brazil has never benefited from its federation. So that's the first thing. <laughs> uh, I think it has a wealth of talent. And given the structures that exist in Brazil, it simply gets scouted more. It really does. It's a bigger country. It just just has a ton of of different clubs with even if they underdevelop their women's programs, they're still so good. And they've taken advantage of opportunities in the French League, in UEFA just in general, in the NWSL in the US. I mean, that's where Marta plays, that's where Dabinha plays. Um and so I I think it's hard to take Brazil as a place that other South American countries could emulate because the answer would be leave. <laughs> you know, if you want if you want yeah. good football opportunities, get the hell out. I think so it's a, a running yeah. theme that certainly the organizational bodies are there's some pretty just fundamental sexism and 
disregard to the female game so yeah maybe, maybe it is just about getting abroad because I know Argentina I think only has maybe two players who play abroad so Le Jaimes and uh, Banini well, yeah so six or seven though. oh There's, okay yeah okay. but they're not but they're playing in the Colombian league they're not necessarily playing abroad when we talk about Europe there's two in the Colombian league there's one, one in South Korea one in Korea yeah yeah I mentioned that on the commentary a couple of times so yeah I think I think you know for other other federations to catch up uh that needs to come from the federation it should come from the federation Colombian players complained to me that they were convened uh, less than two weeks before the tournament so you know I mean that's just not enough time to prepare for the one tournament that it happens every four years to qualify players for the Olympics the Pan Americans and the World Cup yeah, I think uh, Argentina had a, a similar lack of time to prepare either, especially with, with that stadium change that you mentioned earlier. And, and I was again, I was reading your article and also um, an article by Dan Edwards um, for the, the BA Times who, who, who did a, a little bit on some of their, their struggles, the sort of lack of facilities, lack of investment from the AFA, which not not a big surprise, to be honest. Uh, given the the state that they're in at all levels, and yeah, um, there, I, I saw that there were some protests ahead of ahead of the Argentina Chile game where they where they cups their ears to kind of maybe bring attention to this yeah lack of investment, lack of attention from the media. Do you think that's had had much of an impact yet? You know, I I think that their strike was amazing, and and actually. You would be sad to hear that what they get paid for training is, you know, it's about it's less than eight pounds. That's that's pretty terrible, especially given the the inflation that's going on right now. Yeah, it's and so the issue is they didn't even strike because they wanted more. They struck because those eight pounds weren't paid. And so that's it's what's incredible. I mean, I translated their letter, their collective letter announcing their strike into English. And I had only like an hour to do it. So I apologize for anyone who's read it because it's full of grammatical errors. But as I did it, it was just like, oh my God, they don't get they don't get boots. They don't get shoes to practice it, you know, cleats. I guess you call them boots if this is a British right thing yeah. and um <laughs> british america well austin's not here today so yeah but let's okay. stick to the british phrases <laughs> okay so they, they don't get boots they don't get those kinds of things and and so it's really amazing i mean they cup their ears i think all the players are really conscious of the fact that they're they're undergoing extreme neglect they only had nine practices i believe before the Copa America and only six with the international players because, you know, players like Estefania Banini had to be released and played, I think, until March 31st. The Copa started April 5th or maybe March 28th was her last game and then it started the 5th. So it's just really, really difficult, um, you know, to 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 sort of get a rhythm going in, in terms of that. And when your players are exhausted because they've been on the bus 10 hours, you, you know, to get to Buenos Aires, that's even, that's even more complicated. So I don't know, but here the coverage sucks. I can just tell you it's easier to find out what Carlos Tevez had for breakfast than it is, <laughs> than it is to find out who won, it's, you know, Argentina versus yeah. Colombia. Yeah, I think I saw on... On La Nación's uh, website, there was maybe like three small articles about it over the course of the entire tournament. So, you know, from one of their main media outlets, that's that's pretty shocking. Oh, well, you finished there. Feel, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just sounded a, a like short you were point. in mid-sentence and cut off. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no what, uh, Sometimes you just get so frustrated that you just yeah. trail off. Yeah. <laughs> what I was going to come back to there, Brenda, was... You know, you're based in Argentina at the moment, and, and we've heard the really disgraceful reaction from the co- Colombian media towards towards their team. Uh, I was just I was just wondering, you know, the expectations for Argentina before the tournament um, were they matched, and and do you think that the reaction there was was fair, or like you perhaps already kind of mentioned, there wasn't really hardly a reaction at all because. Because it wasn't covered that much. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to put it. I don't think there were expectations among the general media. I think the women were 
a little had a bit of trepidation because of a couple friendlies they played in Chile where they lost. I think they were really concerned about how good Brazil was, which I, I mean, the last Copa America, if I'm not wrong, Marta didn't play. And I don't even know if Formiga played in Ecuador in 2014. So everyone knew they were coming with just a load of talent, you know, three generations of of players. So there was a lot of trepidation. And I think they were really excited and gratified to beat Colombia, quite honestly. I think they had questions about that. A couple players are in the Colombian League. They know yeah. Colombia has has been in the last two World Cups. So I, I think for them personally, their expectations were totally fulfilled and they were happy with that. Of course, they would have liked to beat Chile or at least get a draw against Chile. But I don't think they particularly expected that of themselves. It would have been quite difficult. Chile, for the first time, was really well organized, uh, was super charged up. And uh, it was it was a difficult game. I mean, the Chileans just went out. Well, they were just all out there. Well, and also the fact that Argentina have still got a chance to qualify for the for the World Cup. I think it's a it's a playoff against uh, Concacaf side, right? Um, yeah. That means yeah. As if they get through that, then making it to the the World Cup is going to be deemed a success, even if they didn't qual- uh, qualify automatically. Um, Adam, I was I was going to ask. Um, Seeing as uh, the the Chilean men's side didn't make it to the World Cup, do you expect there to be a may, you know having the whole nation behind the women's team for for the World Cup as a you know a kind of reaction to the to the men's failure? Yeah, I, I think I think there's definitely a, a good chance of that. I have to say the, the the tournament really sort of caught fire here in Chile as 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 the tournament went on. I didn't really hear too many people. Um, discussing it, and um, but what I did notice is that when I walked past the the bars and restaurants, um, you know, people were watching the games. So I think, and especially as the tournament went on, more and more people tuned into it. And I, and I think the final game, that that big win they got against Argentina, you know, that was that was watched by millions of people here in Chile, which was which is just fantastic to see. And I think that the the World Cup in France next year. I think the Chilean TV companies will definitely pick that up and there will probably be a little bit of a fight for the rights for it as well. And um, and, and I think it will get decent viewing figures. I really do. Perhaps the fact that the, the men's side didn't qualify, um, you know, that, that's, that's been a big talking point on, on amongst some of my friends on social media, you know, the, the fact that the women, despite all the challenges they faced, they managed to make the World Cup and there was only, what, two spots available. And the, and the men, despite all of their advantages, you know, couldn't get one with, with five spots available. So I would say that the reaction here has been, has been great to it. And I, think, and I think most people are really looking forward to, to seeing how, how they do in France next year. I see that they've already organised a couple of friendlies against the U.S., um, so that's going to be a really interesting time and challenge for them. And really now, I think the big hope here is that, you know, this, this uh, enthusiasm for the women's game doesn't, doesn't suddenly fade. You know, it's, it's, got to be, it's got to be kept alive um, over these next year. And I, and I think the fact um, that they've got these friendlies against the US, a fair broadcast, and I think, you know, like I say, the World Cup is broadcast next year. That's really going to help keep the women's game in, in the mind of the public. And I, and I also saw an article yesterday that there's talk that, them, that they will be setting up, perhaps setting up a professional league here in Chile as well. So, so that, would be, that would be a big, big step forward. Um, you know, along the lines of the one they've got there in Colombia, I believe. Well, one of the interesting things about that issue of having a domestic league is that according to the FIFA rules to bid for a World Cup, you need a professional league for the Women's World Cup. And Colombia had originally discussed the FA being interested in putting in a bid for the Women's World Cup 2023. And now I'm wondering if the Chilean FA is not thinking, hmm, <laughs> maybe, <Yeah. laughs> maybe we could pull you it off. You might be right there. You might because because one of one of the most big disgraces really in the last few years is one of the reasons why the women haven't received the support um, that they deserve is the fact that the the different federations and Commonwealth as well feel that they can't be marketed in the same way. You know, 
as as the men. Well, the other issue is that the the financing structure of FIFA to Comebol and Comebol to the federations encourages theft, just outright theft of women's development money. Because, and I can tell you because I've been to Zurich and I have pursued Comebol <laughs> officials up and down, uh, is that there is absolutely no accountability until this year that has ever been required of Comebol to FIFA to show how they use women development monies. Oh, that's so, shocking. shocking. It, it, no, and, the, and it's true. And, I, and, and, and I've gotten them to admit it on Twitter. I've gotten them to admit it in print. There's no, there's absolutely no system. And then here, here it gets even worse. Coleman Ball actually has absolutely no accounting system for any of the federations to report women's development money that it supposedly sends to them back. So there's zero, there's zero. Now the entire, up until this year, development money for each nation for its women's program is $36,000 from FIFA. Absolutely I'll just let joking. that sit there. So yeah. $36,000. And then there's no accounting for it anyway, which means it's an incentive for these already quite corrupt federations to continue to just kind of, you know, pocket that money for the men's program. You know, not I'm not accusing them of doing it individually, but it seeps in. It seeps into the general thing and there's there's into the general, you know, monstrous structure that it is. And the Chilean Federation is an absolute mess. I mean. Salah, Salah is the best. I mean, let's just face it. I mean, I'm not accusing him of anything, but there's no kind of inspired support for the Chilean Federation right now. And so basically, without any accountability, whether they're actually using it for women's development or not is unclear, but there's an actual incentive to take the money and use it for the men's program because that's what's scrutinized by the public. Yeah, it's obviously shocking. And, um, you know, Colombia has has no you know has a obviously a big past in corruption and, and there's always a big concern in that regard but i also think while i've been critical of the somewhat flat response in colombia to the copa america i do think in a lot of ways colombia is doing a lot of things right and i you know it's, i think it's worth having a look at some of the things that they've implemented which you know to take football female football in colombia from something you know that could only be played in parks with a few friends to something that can attract 33,000 fans to a to a stadium final um, within you know a year and a half is is very impressive and I think there's been some good steps. One thing that the Colombian league has announced for this season, which is currently on, underway and we're going into the knockout stages, is that for any men's team that wants to participate in international competitions, so the Sudamericana or the Copa Libertadores, they have to also have a female team, which is I think is a very very interesting and important step. It, you know, it, it consolidates some of the, the steps that have been made. Um, in terms of the the female league, you know, it, I've been very impressed with how how it's taken off. You know, I think perhaps one of the reasons why the the club sides have been better supported in some regards in the national team is that you know we mentioned it before, but in Colombia and I think elsewhere in the continent, people, but perhaps particularly in Colombia, people are so proud of their city and their region. And the way that the female teams have been presented, they've been another representative of the city. So, for example, Wheeler have done very, very well. They got to the final last year. They were beaten by a very good Santa Fe team. But Wheeler is, you know, a small town kind of out of the way of everything else in Colombia. But to have another representative that's doing well really, you know, got built some city pride. And, and you know, it's really nice to see that the way the club is presented you know, by on social media, by the men's team, as you know, we've got two games this weekend. We're playing the men's team on Tuesday, you know, the women's team on Thursday, um, and that's had some really positive results. You know, the attendances aren't always great, but I know Envigado last year had better female attendances than male attendances for some games because they were doing well. And you know, in Colombia, they love a winner. So I think there are a lot of positive steps, and there is a clear sign. I think with some successes in Colombia, that if things are promoted in the right way. If things are taken seriously, if they're given a platform, if they're given, uh, you know, they're treated in a serious manner by the associations and by the clubs and, and, and by TV and by the media, which doesn't always happen. But when it does, I think it's very clear that people are willing to just go, great, so my club's got two teams now, perfect. And I think that is, in a lot of ways, the ideal situation. People kind of have questions about tying things too much to the men's team, but 
these are institutions with 100 years of history. So I think uh, if they can then present a female team and it be presented in, a, in an equal manner, you know, obviously they don't have the same prestige yet. But but these female teams are treated very, very seriously by the clubs and, and the fans generally have then taken it very seriously. You know, I, I, I despair reading England Facebook messages about the women's team and seeing a thousand sexist messages. I haven't seen that in Colombia and I'm kind of surprised in some way and very, very presently surprised because, again, people think a traditional macho culture and the, the gender roles are quite strongly defined in Colombia in some ways. Um, but yeah, so I've been very, very pleasantly surprised. So there are massive challenges and we've discussed them and there's lots of things that really be combated and improved hugely. But I do think that some of the progress in Colombia shows that if things are taken seriously and done in the right way, then people are willing to get on board. And, and yeah, I think it's important to note that 33,000 fans for a women's game a year after the league was founded is something that we can have hope with and, and is a positive step that hopefully will spread uh, throughout the continent. Just to bring it back to that Commonwealth decision about every uh, club who wants to play international or continental football needing a women's team. I mean, obviously, in one respect, it, that should definitely be the case. But in a way, it almost kind of feels, again, like them passing the buck onto the individual club's rather than actually providing something, I don't know, an actual concrete of way of helping to develop the the national leagues, helping to actually set it up. It's, you know, it's all well and good sort of saying, okay, you need a women's team. Okay, why, you know, so we've done our bit there. But I think there's got to be more help rather than, than purely just sort of making this rule and then letting the individual, individual clubs or, or organisations work out the rest. So... As, as much as I do see the positives in it, I think there's there's a lot still to be done rather than just kind of making a token, maybe PR uh, show for things. That rule was particularly effective in Colombia. It was a rule implemented by Di Major, independently of, of Commonable, um, to say that we have this league, you need to get involved or you're not in the international competition. So the establishment of the league and the making it something viable was the first step. And then following up by saying, right, Nacional, why, why aren't you involved? Mijanadios, get involved. Or you're not involved in, you know, you know we're not going to allow you to participate in the international competitions if you're not fulfilling your role as a club within Colombian professional football in the both the male and the female side. So 100% agree. Um, that is something you can do once you have the league and the infrastructure and the support from a, from a uh, federation level. Um, to then, you know, encourage teams to make sure they're in, they're involved in each region of the country. But yeah, there has to be a many many steps before they get to that point. Uh, if we're talking about Chile, we're talking about elsewhere in the continent. Sometimes tokenism works in these cases. I hope. I agree with you generally that it would be nice if Comebol didn't pass the buck onto teams. That said, you know, uh, clubs don't seem particularly enthusiastic about developing their women's sides either. So at least the Colmebol ruling gave like the Argentine players a little bit of leverage to demand more from the clubs that they already play for. I, I don't, you know, I don't know if that's better or worse. I always think that women organizing independently has gotten them more than trying to work with these associations. But given the fact that it's hard to work outside of these associations, I hope the Colmebol ruling about Libertadores does something at least maybe the women like this colombian case seems great you know for a tokenism thing that's that's pretty good that they're able to do that and and maybe it'll work out as well for the argentines because i know the women in boca have really made a big push to try to use that ruling immediately to say okay not that they have to support their boca team more but you need to make sure that that's implemented because we need good people to play. We need good clubs to play. So you need to get out there and make sure that they're actually getting that women's side that they're supposed to. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's definitely going to be interesting and and hopefully it can at least be the the catalyst for for some much needed development. We'll we'll have to watch this space. I, f- I feel like we should actually give some more time to the football which actually was played uh, in this tournament. Um, as as there was some fantastic. Um, team performances on show and and also individual performances. Um, Brenda, you mentioned earlier the Argentina beating Colombia three one. That for me was one of the performances of the tournament because I was really impressed with Colombia actually. And I was going to mention this earlier the fact that the Colombian newspaper El Tiempo 
criticised the Colombian team, I do wonder if they actually watched any of the games because Colombia were brilliant <laughs> in the in the in the in the group stage. You know, but they yeah. I think they were. I, I think only Brazil scored more goals than them, and they were pretty unlucky to only draw against Chile in 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 the final stage um, of the competition. Um, so you know they, they only missed out by a small margin, but yeah, that, that Argentina three-one victory over Colombia was a bit of an upset, really, wasn't it? I thought so. I was really surprised. I was quite surprised, and you know, uh, Ospina had had been so good and so creative, and you know, she's amazing. I think that they may have missed Natalia Gaitan at that point. You know, their longtime captain who had been in a couple. She's injured. She's out on injury. And I just kind of felt like once they got a real challenge from Argentina, they sort of fell apart. Uh, I, I don't know what you thought. I mean, they hadn't been really challenged in a lot of the earlier matches. I think, I, I think Chile were the ones who really gave them a game and um, in, in that first stage, didn't they? Uh, you know, for those who don't know, their results were they beat Uruguay 7-0, they beat... Um, Paraguay 5-1, they beat Peru 3-0, and, and then there was the 1-1 draw with the host Chile. So yeah, I, I think your theory could be could be right there, that maybe the Argentines caught them, uh, maybe in a, perhaps a little bit complacent from the Colombians, you could say. Yeah, or without some kind of game plan. It just seemed like, we're really good, we know how to play. I didn't see, I didn't see any like any sort of like reaction or and and I don't know a whole lot about the coach um, and maybe you all know a little bit more, but um, I didn't see any like sort of strategic substitutions. I don't know. I didn't see a whole lot going on in terms of strategy. Yeah, it, I mean, from a Colombian perspective, it definitely had the feel of some of the U twenty U seventeen tournaments Colombia been involved with where there's loads of talent and the, the coach just doesn't really seem to have any idea what to do. Um, I was disappointed not to see more of uh, Lacey, Lacey Santos. She's really good um, for, for Colombia. Uh, Usme, Catarina Usme is obviously class. <clears throat> Daniela Montoya as well is a player I really, really like. Um, she was at Envigado last year. I've actually played with her. And it's, you know, typical South American story. Before the game, um, some of the guys on my team were going, yeah, but you know, can with these two girls, can we like tackle them or you know, can we go in hard against them? Like, what's the deal? Like, <laughs> over the 90 minutes, no one got within 20 <laughs> yards of her. She was, she was amazing. Um, they, she completely bossed the game. And the thing is, she was a bit of the Valderrama about her. She always had the ball and yet never had the ball. So every time, bang, got it past it, got it past it, got it past it. Yeah, she she ripped us to shreds. And I think, uh, you know, one one game at a time, she's definitely helping win respect uh, in Medellin here. Um, but again, that was that was before the female league started. And that's where she played football against me. <laughs> so it shows how, how much uh, she's progressed. Um, but yeah, I think in Colombia, I think there's good players. Um, I think perhaps with time, I think one of the disappointments is that Colombia did better before they had a female league, which I think part, is part of the reason for the disappointment. But yeah, Catalina Guzme, Mondoya, uh, Santos, um, are, are really interesting kind of attacking players. Particularly Guzme, she scored you know what five in the first game. Uh, people were thinking this is job done. We're going to win the we're going to win the thing after a seven 0 win against Uruguay. And perhaps as they faced difficult opposition, they didn't quite have the you know the grit and the yeah perhaps perhaps the experience to to see things out in the in the final stages. Um, yeah. <laughs> Okay. No, I, I think, you know, part of it is that Colombia, there's no way when there's only two matches played between Copa Americas to actually like know and size up your competition. So some of the problem is everybody knows the Brazilian players because they're pretty prominent and they're playing at, you know, in very prominent teams. But then somebody like Argentina catches you off guard because Argentina didn't play anything in 2015 or 16 so i mean i can complain about the coaches colombia didn't have one like i said for eight months but <laughs> but in any case i don't know what video you would even watch because they literally argentina didn't play in 2015 2016 but chile didn't play in 2015 2016 so uh, so when colombia when el tiempo made those criticisms i kind of wanted to say hey like you have no idea who they're playing against because they don't have any idea who they're playing against. And, you know, I thought I thought Argentina caught them off guard. I think they kind of creamed Paraguay and Uruguay 
not really surprising. I mean, they probably had two practices before the Copa. And I don't know. I, I thought Argentina came out and, and did a pretty good job just sort of rattling them. Um, and Argentina is not a super physical team. So it's not Chile far more. And I, I should say, too, and OK, I guess this is just a football thing. Every player I interviewed after the Copa, and there was probably 16, complained about the officiating. <laughs> but but really, like really complained in a serious way. And I don't know. I think that probably needs to be reviewed at some point because I did think that Chile-Argentina game was just called so poorly. I don't know what you, you all thought. But yeah, but I, th- I think, you know, the officials here in South America are also a group of people who are treated pretty poorly as well by their for sure by for their sure. federations um so i'm always a little bit yeah i never i never like to criticize them too much but but yeah it's frustrating when one of the biggest things for me in football is frustrating when referees give decisions when they couldn't have even possibly seen it and and i think there was some of that going on sometimes a, a lot of guesswork which is which is unfortunate to see talking of argentina i was i was really impressed with uh for uh, Florencia Bonsegundo, um, I thought she she was really good because obviously some of the other names like Benini and Jaimes uh, maybe a bit more well known within the women's game. But yeah, she she was one that that stuck uh, stuck out for me. Uh, what, what did you who did you think were the the best players for Argentina then, uh, Brenda? Well, strangely enough, in that game against Chile, I thought the only one that was really doing uh, the kind of work I expected was Ruth Bravo in the midfield who wasn't actually used in the beginning. And she was the only one that seemed to be able to control um, any of the possession in the midfield. And she hasn't been played. She plays for Boca. And she hasn't been played a lot. And so I was excited to see her out there, despite the fact that they lost. But yeah, I love Sol Jaime's. I think she's brilliant. So I was happy to see her. I thought she's a super creative player. Yeah, Bom she, Segundo's great, too. But. Yeah, Sol Jaime's really caught my eye as well. Yeah. I thought, I thought she yeah, she's super she's in super great shape right now really healthy working hard <laughs> I, I think she's at Santos right now and uh and seems to be just thriving there I was a little bit disappointed in Bonini versus uh versus Chile she looked she looked almost just sort of Fernanda Panilla in Chile's midfield seemed to just knock her off her game almost entirely yeah and fr- from the and from the Chilean side um I have to say that the goalkeeper, Christine Endler, she was just magnificent oh, throughout the tournament. Yeah. I think No, yeah, she's all, amazing. All yes. My, all my time watching <laughs> football, you know, men men or women's game, I honestly can't remember a goalkeeping performance throughout the tournament as, as good as hers. She was just so consistent. You're a captain as she's well. Fantastic. A captain as well and yeah, just magnificent performances and um and you know, talk, talking about national heroes, I think what what she did in this, in this tournament really deserves more praise than it actually got. I feel um, I was uh, I felt like I was uh, screaming it to a few of my friends and relatives here, and they kind of yeah weren't so infused as I was. But yeah, it was uh, yeah she plays for Paris Saint Germain in France, right? So, yeah, she's already... Got... I, she used to play in the Spanish league. Did she change? Yeah, I, well, she, she, was she was at Valencia, wasn't she? Did and she then, switch? Yeah, she got, a, yeah. she got a big move to, to PSG, um... Um, I, th- I think, earlier this year or last year. But, yes, she's... Um, so, she's already been well-recognised within the women's game, obviously, for her talents. Yeah, um, yeah I yeah. compare her all the time to Nadine Anger from Germany she's one of those goalkeepers that's actually like out there setting the she's so active like she's not only technically great but she's like (laughs) way out there in terms of controlling the game and the game plan she was fantastic I totally agree yeah such a such a such a perfect uh body shape for a goalkeeper as well has to has to be said you know it looks she mm-hmm. she's got she's got a shape that she looks to be born to be a goalkeeper basically <laughs> yeah and she's serene too so she's psychologically scary <laughs> she looks so <laughs> calm <laughs> Um, someone else, I think, um, deserves a mention. One of potentially the best players in women's football, I think, Dana Castellanos, the Venezuelan striker. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, tweet, <laughs> I tweeted about old. her a couple of times because 
she got some stick from some of the American uh, players, some of the US national team players when she was um, nominated for the award last year for the you know best female player. Yeah. Wasn't she? Yeah, but, but that's also but that's also because she doesn't play for the NWSL. She plays university soccer. And it felt for I think it felt for them like a slap in the face. Yeah. I can I can I, know, see, it. I can I see it from their perspective, but I also think that you know the women's game is in a very different position to say the men's game, and I think what they did there was they did. I, I think you could see it from two perspectives. Now you could see it almost as like tokenism, as, as we've already discussed, or you could see it from a positive aspect where they scouted outside of the obvious places and picked a player. Who, who, who was really on the rise. And I thought her performances in this tournament were, were really great. And she scored a couple of wonderful goals as well. Yeah, she's I mean, no she's... doubt talented, but I mean, they didn't scout anybody. I wish I believed you. Like, I think if your theory is so lovely, but I don't think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think they had no idea what they were doing. I mean, even in South America, to not pick Devinha or, yeah, or Mia, or it, it's ignorance. It's it's no. it, I think I, I thought it was a ridiculous choice though I'm I think she's fantastic too and I agree with you it just was right. like come on yeah maybe like I said I can see it from both I can see it from both perspectives I was just trying to put maybe a positive spin on it like that, like that. I, know. I, think, <laughs> I think maybe as well that some of the goals goals she scored really caught the headlines so maybe that helped her case you know being. Puskas contender for some of the U17 performance uh, and some of the goals in U17, um, maybe, uh, you know, put her name out there and, uh, you know, that might have helped her as well. But yeah, I mean, again, we talk about how certain players can maybe, you know, be like an inspiration. And I think in terms of Venezuelan football, I think she is going to be massively important in terms of getting girls, young girls involved in the game to have one of the better players in the world or one of the best players on the continent scoring five goals in a, in an international competition. You know, we've seen lots of positive steps in the male game in Venezuela as well, but you know, I, I talked to my friend and you know, his favorite Venezuelan footballer is Dana Castellanos. Um, and I think that is, that is going to be massive as well moving forward. Obviously Venezuela's difficult moment and it will be, you know, there was going to be issues in terms of getting regular football and really fulfilling some of these talents, but having a star who's, hopefully going to go on to Europe or at least do big things in the US um, and, and being someone who's star, you know being a star player at an international football tournament is is massive and hopefully that will you know inspire some other people in Venezuela to to play more football obviously not a traditional footballing power but you know these are the kind of things combined with the the young talent in the men's team that hopefully will give a big boost to the country in terms of football on both male and female side. Yeah, and just a couple of more names from the from the Chilean side, Maria Rojas, and you know she's she's thirty now, and I, and I believe that she plays her football in Japan. Um, you know she, she was she was quite impressive at times. Francisca Lara in the midfield, she plays her football in Spain. So so these players who already had a bit of a name in the women's game, you know, they really did rise to the occasion. But they were supported by certainly the, the group of players from um, from the domestic league as well, um, who, who also impressed. Um, I think uh, I think Brenda, you mentioned er- earlier, Fernanda Pinilla had a couple of very impressive games. She plays for Universidad de Chile here, um, and uh, and yeah, I think there was even a 17-year-old in the squad, Javier Agres, and what an experience that would have been for her to be involved in a in a tournament such as this and um, I think it's uh, I think it's looking bright for for the for the Chilean team going forward. We just might might want to mention just I don't want to go on too much about Brazil. I don't want to drone on too much about the Brazilian team, but how many different goal scorers did they have? Is it 13? Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, but it was they just had a wealth of talent, didn't they? they really That's did. just absurd. That's just absurd. <laughs> oh, God. Man. It was so I don't want to drone on too much about them, but I do think for South American football to have a stronger Brazilian team because they were very disappointing in the 2016 Olympics and they were very disappointing in the 2014 
World Cup. And I don't think Vajau is a decent coach for them at all. They've actually protested him as their coach and not gotten anything from it. So I hope that they actually continue to do well because I think it's good for Comebol women's football to have a really strong Brazilian Brazilian team. Yeah, and and it and it should eventually sort of bring up the standards of 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 the other of the other yeah. nations know as well. That's what that's what yeah. we see. That's what we see on the other side, you know, the more competitive football that, mm-hmm. that, that, that these women get, then their standards will rise a lot quicker. We've seen that happen in the men's game with a lot of smaller nations over the years, and I'm sure it'll be true in the women's game as well. But they, as we've said and as we pointed out in this podcast, you know, they really need more support um, from everybody, really. Okay, so I think that wraps us up for, for what's been an absolutely fascinating uh, discussion with, 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 with you, Brenda. Um, and, I, and I speak on behalf of Tom and Simon there, I'm sure. I want to come back to you just to find out where people can, um, where people can find you on, on social media, if they want to get in touch with you, and, um, and any other things that you want to plug. I believe you, you have your own podcast as well, no? The, the excellent I do. Burn It All Down. <laughs> I co-host a sport and feminism podcast called Burn It All Down with a lot of people a lot smarter than I am. And uh, yeah, it's, it's very cool. And you can find me on Twitter at Politicultura or Brenda.lc at Hofstra.edu because normally I am a professor of history. <laughs> and, not, <laughs> and not doing fun things like this. Well, it, it's been fantastic to have you on, and um, and I'm sure we're going to speak again on on one of these podcasts in the future. Thank you so much for having me. It was a complete pleasure. No worries. And Tom, where can people find you? Um, you can find me at Tom Robo eighty nine on Twitter. Um, and yeah, just want to echo the sentiments uh, from Adam there about really really interesting podcast so hopefully a lot of people go out and listen to it um yeah but otherwise just check me out on twitter um lots of articles going up there and finally simon yeah so on twitter at simon edwards saf um i'm one of the lucky ones to have a female league in in my country so if you want a bit of coverage i'm going to try and do a bit more stuff on the knockout stages of the women's league here in colombia which is getting a bit interesting some good teams so there's a bit of information on that on my Twitter and send me a message if you have any questions and yeah, support women's football in South America, uh, whatever way you can. And yeah, enjoy, enjoy today. Very interesting. Yeah. And it's just left for me to say, really, if you've enjoyed this podcast, then please rate and review us on iTunes. That'd be a great help. And it's goodbye from Brenda, Simon and Tom and goodbye from me. Bye.